Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to be together and even Melissa joining us from afar, Lord. And Father, um, for those that are traveling this morning and away from us, Father, I just pray that on their journeys home, Father, that you would uh, keep them safe, Lord. And Father, we just thank you, uh, Father, that your mercies are new every morning, Lord. We thank you, God, that you're sovereign over all things. Father, we thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that you are a provider. We thank you that you are the banner over us, Lord. We thank you that you are our rock, Father. And I just pray, Father, that as we come into this time together um, of just corporate worship, Father, and fellowship, Father, and and just uh, opening up of your word, Lord, as uh, many are doing all across this nation this morning, Father, that we have the right and the privilege to do, that we would not um, take it for granted, Lord, and, Father, that our hearts would lay barren before you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
circumstances, God, and that we can fix our gaze upon you, Lord, that our time on this earth is brief, our life is but yet a vapor, God, your kingdom is eternal. God, that we wouldn't lose sight. Of your sacrifice, of 
and we wouldn't lose sight of your resurrection. God, that you've purchased us with your own blood and Father, you've redeemed us, you have freed us from sin and death. You've called us as your own. You've engrafted us, Lord, into your family. You've adopted us. You've given us the right to call you Abba, to call you Daddy. Such great love that you have for us, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that today as we open your word, that we would be encouraged, Father, to seek you, Father. God, that you would give us a greater thirst and a hunger for righteousness, Lord. That we would recognize the generation in which we have been purposed for. We are to be your light bearers, your ambassadors. Going forth, Lord, into this darkened world, Father, proclaiming the good news of Jesus so that the captives would be set free. So I pray, God, that we wouldn't take for granted our freedom that we have in Christ. That we wouldn't just live lives so self-absorbed, but God, that we would be, Father, as you've called us to be, servants. That we would serve and that we would love others, God, just as you came and served and loved. So whatever's needed in our lives, God, I pray, God, that we would just yield out of the way and that we would say, yes, Lord. Teach us your will, Father to do your will so that your kingdom would advance and that your name would be made known and captives would be set free in Jesus name Amen Psalm 34 verse 14 turn from evil and do good Seek for peace <clears throat> and work hard to maintain it. To turn from evil and to do good. To seek for peace and to work hard to maintain it. I've been praying not only for myself but for us and as we've been stuck on this scripture and will be stuck on this scripture till the end of this year. I want to continue to encourage us in it. I want to continue to be challenged by it daily. That we wouldn't go the ways of the world. That we wouldn't go and follow our own self-desires, but that we would seek to do what is right. To put aside the old man, to put aside the flesh, and to walk in the Spirit. If we're children of God, if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible says that we're to live lives that don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But that we are to walk habitually, continually in the Spirit, so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And when I think about the fruit of the Spirit, 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, you know, all of those. And that's available for us, you all. That's available. And we ought to be growing and we ought to be walking in that. Because that is who we are now. No longer a slave to sin, but alive in Christ. Remember, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in the abundance, but it's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it's been an interesting week this week. My time of prayer, my time of study, I'm looking out the different news feeds that are happening throughout the earth. I read this testimony of this young man who was a survivor from the Pulse attack. The Freedom March that took place yesterday. And my heart was so broken for the way that these people who were declaring the goodness of God are being attacked. Attacked and how the name of Jesus is just being trampled under. Are on, and not just from the the the, the hardcore sinners, <laughs> but from the religious people, from all sides. Do we know Jesus, you all? Are we truly in intimate fellowship with Christ? Because when you read some of these posts, when you hear what people are saying out there, go have conversations with people. Go tell them what Jesus has done in your life and see how they respond. Do we know Jesus? Do we have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because if so, our lives would be changed. Not perfect, but changed. Transformation. There ought to be fruit in our lives. That's the mark of a true believer. There's fruit. Transformational fruit in your life. You once were, but now you are. And we're not perfect until we, are, we stand before him. But until then, as I've been encouraging us, we are to keep maturing. We're to keep growing. We're to keep pressing in. But the days are getting harder. The reality of that really needs to set in to the church. That the days are getting harder to proclaim righteousness on this earth. That doesn't mean we give up. That doesn't mean we back down. That doesn't mean we change our message. No, the message is the same. Repent. Turn to God. Turn from your selfish, wicked ways and turn to God. The days are getting harder. But we're to be getting stronger. In your faith, you all. Seeking Him and knowing Him. Turning from evil and doing what is good. Seeking for peace and working hard to maintain it. Not just giving up your peace. Because life doesn't go your way. No, but maintaining that peace that only can come from God. That peace that surpasses all understanding. That peace that keeps you even when the night is long. That peace that sustains you when you're waiting in a season of waiting. That peace 
that gives you the hope when the new dawn morning sun rises. That peace that says, not my will, but your will be done. That peace that allows us not to look at the temporal things of life, but to look up for our redemption is drawing near. The hope that we have in Christ, that hope will never disappoint us. So this peace, this seeking this peace, and working hard to maintain it, and working hard, not for your salvation, because your salvation only comes from Christ, in Christ. All that he has accomplished, nothing that you will ever accomplish, but all that he has accomplished. Because of his great love, he laid his life down for you and for me. People who were wicked and were rebellious towards him. But we've humbled ourselves. Hopefully we have. You're sitting here today. I'm not sure why you would want to continue to be an object of his wrath by your own choice. When he's given us the opportunity to be objects of his love because of his choice. Because he came. He came to redeem us back to God, not to keep us enslaved to our sin. No matter how man wants to spin it, no matter how man wants to strip Jesus down, he is still God and God alone. No matter how much you may be pushed up against because of your faith. Because trust me, living out your faith in this generation, you are going to be pushed up against. People are not going to respond to the good news of what God has done in your life. Not everybody. The Bible says to some you would be a stench of death. To others you will be a fragrance of life. And as we've said before, and as we know as we read God's word, not everyone is going to be ushered into heaven. Only those who've accepted Jesus. And in that acceptance of Christ, that our lives are transformed, we receive the Holy Spirit, we have the power of the resurrection within us. The Bible says that he changes us by changing the way we think. We are transformed by taking every thought captive and bringing it into the obedience of His Lordship. And how are we doing with that? Like, how are you living throughout your day, day in and day out, and the thoughts that bombard your heart and your mind? Thoughts that are contrary to God's truth. But if you're not in God's Word, if you're not in fellowship among God's people, you won't know. And so you will continue to do what is evil. But when the word of God is planted in you, when God's truth and the revelation of his word, when his Holy Spirit is leading you and bringing you to conviction, the hope that is established in one's heart to do what is right, to honor God, to say yes, to take steps forward and don't look for the applause of man. No, your reward is in heaven. Your reward is in heaven. So how are we doing 
with knowing God's truth, with applying God's word, with minding our manners and guarding our mouths, protecting our mind, and being careful of what we're setting our eyes upon. Filth is rising up. We've never seen in our time, and it's only getting worse. And I constantly pound that drum before us because it is what it is. Look at the world. And if we're not establishing ourselves in Christ, if we're not seeking Him, if we're just making Him to be nothing, then that's what He is, is nothing to us. But that's not who He is. He ought to be everything. Because when you realize what you've been delivered from, when you realize you've been saved, like you wouldn't want to go back and touch the things that He has brought you out from. You wouldn't want to continue with the stinking thinking and the insecurities that weigh you down. You won't want to continue just seeking man's acceptance when you've been accepted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Like when you are marked and set apart as His, His beloved, and you recognize this world for what it is. This earth, if you are a believer today, is not your home. So today, I wasn't, I was prepared to continue through our study. And I decided to hold off as I've been praying through this week. And I want to encourage you from the book of James this morning. And I've probably done this before because I find myself in my walk with Christ at times going and just sitting down with the book of James. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to sit down and open up the book of James, this letter. So let's go to James. And just an overview of this. Actions speak louder than words. The old adage is reflected well in the book of James. This book attacks the notion that becoming a Christian is simply a matter of asserting to a few spiritual truths without experiencing any real change in behavior or thought. James was the leader in the church at Jerusalem. So his book has a very Jewish flavor. It contained many short, proverbial sayings and resembles the teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. James addressed several matters in which Christian behavior should reflect Christian faith. He discussed pride, discrimination, greed, lust, hypocrisy, worldliness, and slander. James used several analogies to show how true faith must evidence itself in good works. He compared believers to fruit trees, bearing only the kind of fruit that belongs to them. Because of the book's emphasis on good works, it is a very practical book regarding the Christian life. The book of James. I want to encourage you all as we hear it today. And I want to encourage you to go in this week and sit down 
and take time to feast, to chew on this word. This was written to the church. Then, and as it was for then, it is for us now. To live out this Christian life, you all. Not a religious life. Not one who, that is striving just to do good, to do good, to do good, and then produce nothing. <laughs> but a life that is in Christ, knowing that He has produced and has come and, and given us everything we need to live this godly life. It is only through Him that we can even produce fruit. Because we're choosing each day to turn from evil and to do good. To seek for peace and working hard to maintain it. Chapter 1. This letter is from James, the slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Again, this is a letter written to the church. To a church that has been scattered abroad because of persecution. And James understood this, and he wasn't making light of what they were enduring, nor should we make light in what we endure. But the truth is, as believers, as believers, he's not writing to unbelievers. But as believers, when troubles come our way, we are to consider it an opportunity for great joy. For we know that when our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. And we see this theme throughout the Bible. That trials will come. We will be pressed in on every side, but we will not be crushed. We have the hope that when a believer endures, when a believer has to face challenges in their life, it is there to produce something within us. Perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And that hope again in Christ will never disappoint us. But today, are we looking at it as for what it is in our lives? Are we considering the trials in which we will face an opportunity for great joy? A great joy of a time to grow, of a time to mature, of a time to even grow closer to our God. To allow our faith and our, and our hopes to be rooted down deep into Him. To know that He is for us and not against us. To know that we can stand in times of adversity. In times of, of sickness. In times of poverty. In times of confusion. In times of whatever it may be. That we can stand. And stand with the assurance <laughs> That God is for us. And we know in scripture it says after we've done all we know to do, then just stand. And as we're reading, as we're seeing how God is moving through Moses and through the Israelites. We read last week that he, he is our warrior. He is providing. He is leading. 
And we saw them as it is in times in our lives where they panic. But then from panic, they come to be faithful. We're not to live lives in constant panic. In constant doubt. In constant uh, being uh, uh, unsure of what's next. No, as Christians, we're to live lives that are filled with hope. Because we have been established already. We have all that we need in Christ. When we see that we're lacking, it's because we're looking at the things of this earth. But when we recognize we have all that we need because of what Christ has accomplished through His love, through His sacrifice, through through the provision of the cross, through His death, through His resurrection, the power that He's given us as His children, as His bride, Here James is writing to the church and encouraging encouraging this church to grow, to mature, to allow what you need to go through, go through it so that you will endure and that your character will be built and established. And then he goes on. I love what he says here in verse 5. If you need wisdom, wisdom, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. See, God does not hold back. But we must be careful what we're asking for. I love the fact that he says, if you need wisdom. And who doesn't need wisdom? Mm-hmm. Like, are you going through something today? What have you asked God for? Have you asked him for wisdom? My God, I need wisdom. And God is gracious. And He will give it. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Do you get this picture that he's painting for us? When you ask God, believe. Your heart is not to be divided. says here again, their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. And that should not be a mark of a true believer. It shouldn't be a mark of a true believer. Yes, life happens all around us. We will endure and we will go through. But we are to hold on to our hope and our God. We are to be his representatives to the lost. They ought to see a change in us, a continual growth in our walk as we are loving and serving the Lord and loving and serving others, as we're showing compassion as we have received compassion, as we are extending grace as we have received his grace. You've always heard me say, what you receive, give. 
You can't give what you don't have. That's why it's vital that you're growing up as a Christian, that you're being discipled, that you know who God is, who Jesus is, and who you are now in Christ. Because then you will live this life. And it will be a true transformation. A life that is reflecting Christ, the one in whom you are saying that you are serving the one whom you are saying you have humbled yourself to has received his salvation and who now is Lord over your life. Not my will, but your will. Taking every thought captive and bringing it into obedience to his lordship. Not your lordship, but to his. I'm not to think this way any longer. I'm not to act this way any longer. Well, then, God, I need wisdom on how am I to think now? How am I to act now? How am I to live now? How is my life able to honor you now? That is what we're seeking. And as we're seeking, we need to be assured that he will answer. And not be tossed back and forth. Not have a divided heart. Not trusting in God, trusting in man, and trusting in the world. But trusting in God and God alone. We don't want to be unstable in everything we do. No, we want to be a stable people, a secured people. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation, you all. Remember what the Bible says. He makes the way out of every temptation. And temptation comes from your own selfish desires. Look what it says there. Your own desires which entices you. And its purpose is to drag you away. That's why you've always heard me say, what does the flesh know to do? Mm, To die. That's all it knows to do. It only knows how to wreak havoc. It only knows how to do what is evil. (laughs) That's all it knows. That's what it desires. That's what it longs for. But God sent his one and only son to deliver us, to free us from being enslaved to sin, to being a, a, to being a slave to destruction. See, what God has purpose is beautiful, you all. What God has planned for your life is beautiful if you would just walk and step with him. And trust in him. So 
So it goes on here in verse 16. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prize possession. Understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters, listen to this. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows, and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You want to know what a true, authentic life in Christ looks like? There it is. There it is. See, what is in the Bible is obtainable because of the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves, we wouldn't live this way. In and of ourselves, we would be self-absorbed, doing me, doing me, doing me, doing me, and doing me. But in Christ, by walking out the newness of life, look at the hope that we have. But we just can't be hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word. And we must not allow the world to corrupt us. We are to be set apart. No, I don't know. I no longer go that way. And we don't look down on people who choose to continue to go their way. They have a right to however they want to live. But as believers, we are called to live as unto the Lord. We're to call, we are called to be an example. So that those who are continually going their way can look and see that there is a difference in Christ. Amen. There should be a difference. If you're claiming to be religious but you don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. We must monitor our speech. We must monitor what's coming out from our mouths. We must honor God in all ways <laughs> by what we do and what we say and even how we think. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. 
Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God. But she is planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. He goes on warning against being prejudiced. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can't stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be the rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppresses you and drags you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you still have broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. We must be careful to guard our hearts, to not esteem others better than others, (laughs) to not have be prejudiced, to not look to get into the popular crowd and leave the broken people aside. We must monitor and guard our hearts. We must recognize, you realize again, this is, this is written to the church. They're being encouraged to live righteously. <laughs> Not to go along with the customs of, the, of, of what they believed. These are Jewish people that James is writing to. And he's writing this letter to us as well as we have opened it up today to read it. We shouldn't be shunning anyone, you all. We shouldn't be looking down on anyone. We should be accepting and loving and serving. Giving everyone a place of honor. Thinking of other ones, as the Bible says better than us looking out for others hoping to encourage them to mature and grow in their faith not looking at just seeing what we can get 
As I've asked you all before, when you come to church, when we come together as a family, are you coming just to get for yourself? Because that's the wrong motives. You ought to be coming first and foremost to honor God and to receive and to hear from God. To worship Him. Come expecting Him to move among us. And then to look at others and see how you may serve them. What you can contribute to our times together, to our family, to our community of believers. To contribute. So I want to encourage you all today, how are you contributing to our fellowship, to one another? You ought to be. And you ought not to be looking down on anyone. And no matter who may walk in and out of this door, we shouldn't be surprised of their past or even their present. Because we have the hope of Christ to encourage them. No matter where they've been, no matter where they're at, and, and no matter where they're going. <laughs> or to love. Or to encourage. Or to honor God. And he's reminding the church, this is how you ought to be living. He goes on. Verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He has even called he was he was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, huh, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she had those when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath. So faith is dead without good works. Just to say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. And we have to come to the reality of this. Just because you hold a form of religion does not make you a Christian. No, a Christian life, there ought to be fruit in your life. 
You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Even the demons believe in God. <laughs> they tremble at his word. They tremble at this truth. But Christians, our lives are to represent Him. Our lives, He is working in and working through, and He is transforming us day in and day out, moment by moment, hour by hour, so that we would honor Him so that others will see Christ in us. When they ask, what is it that you have? What hope do you have for the circumstances that you're facing? Our answer should be Jesus and Jesus alone. <laughs> Jesus and Jesus alone. And I've been encouraged to that more and more and more. As I'm facing my own challenges. If I put my hope in a good report, then, I've, then I'm misguided. Because my hope is in Jesus. If I'm putting my hope and for my circumstances to change and this to get better and that to get better and this to get better and that to get better, then that's where my hope is placed and that'll never satisfy us. But if my hope is established in Christ, then let the storm winds blow. Amen. Let the rain come down. Because I know in whom I belong to and who I am in. He is my shelter. He is my provider. He is my comforter. He is my deliverer. He is my healer. So many times we're putting our hope elsewhere, but our hope has to be rooted in Christ. Faith without works is dead. It's useless. It's, it's of no use. Oh, I go to church. So what? Are you a Christian? Are you serving the living God? Have you received the provision which Jesus has came and given to us? To walk afresh and anew. In a whole new light. In a whole new way. turning from evil, doing what is right. It reminds me as I think of Rahab the prostitute. It reminds me of the scripture last week when Jesus was dealing with the religious men. And he said, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those are the ones who have humbled themselves for they will inherit the kingdom of God. But those who just hold a form of religion, who just have a form of faith, will not enter. And so James is writing yet again to the church, reminding them that it's those who are humbled, who see their need for a Savior, who allow Christ in, 
They yield to His leading. Are you yielding to His leading? Are you seeking Him daily? Not just putting on a performance for others. Not just throwing out God here and God there and posting God here and posting God there and all these encouraging things and yet they're not impacting your life. If the Word of God is not impacting your life, then don't fool yourself. The Word of God should be impacting your life as a believer. You ought to be growing. There should be becoming evidences of, of, his, of his grace and of His mercy and His transformative power in your life. And then he goes on here to talk about the tongue. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we will all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. And could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, wherever the pilot chooses to go. And even though the winds are strong, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. Have you seen the description of this of your tongue before? Have you read it? Do you understand the severity of your words? And how our words take form and shape? And such destruction that comes from it. Are you quick with your tongue to tear down, to lash out? Are you quick to curse and to be vile? It would be easy for any of us. Because that's what the tongue does. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursings come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out from with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The tongue, you all. The tongue is vile. It is harmful. It's wicked. When it's not controlled by the Holy Spirit. When it's not controlled. Your lives are yielded as believers to the Holy Spirit. We are to mature and we are to grow up in our speech. 
and how we allow our tongues to be used. Think of your words this week and think of the words spoken over you. Do you know a lot of the issues of your life is because words have been spoken over you? I want you to think about that. And not only words that have been spoken over you, but words that you even say about yourself. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy because we tear our own selves down. We say the wrong things. But it is vital, you all, that we get our tongue under control. In and of ourselves, we can't. In and of ourselves, we won't. But this should only show us our great need for our Savior. This should only prompt us to say, Yes, Lord. Guard my mouth. Guard my tongue. Teach me, Lord. I need wisdom, God, on how to control this tongue of mine. I can praise you in one moment and I can tear down the next. Do you see how wicked the game is? We ought not to be playing the game. We ought to be established in Christ. Laying it down before Him. Because listen, when people begin to take notice that you're no longer cursing, and I'm just not talking about bad words, I'm just talking about just filth that we can stay out of our mouths. Always down, always negative, always this, always that. Ah, ah, ah. Nothing good is coming from it. And when they begin to see all of a sudden you become an encourager, all of a sudden your words are light, all of a sudden you're not getting in and getting involved with you know gossiping and slandering and backbiting and tearing down and throwing up people's past and all of this junk. Like when people see something different, they're saying, what on earth has happened to you? And then you don't take credit. That gives you the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Jesus is what has happened to me. I once was, but now I am. I've learned the ways of righteousness. I'm no longer going the ways of this world. The teachings of Jesus. His love and His great salvation has been transforming me. And He started with my mouth. He started with my tongue. So come on, you all. That is being encouraged today. When you get up each morning, when you go throughout the day, Lord, Holy Spirit, Hold my tongue. If I'm not going to speak something that's going to edify or build up, then I want to keep my mouth shut. If I'm not going to be an encourager, then help me mind my manners and keep my mouth shut. But as my mouth is kept shut, help my thoughts because I don't want the words running in my head. So I'm taking every thought captive. And I'm bringing it into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I shouldn't think that way about that person. I shouldn't remember what that person did to me. I forgive them. I'm not going to look upon this situation and think negatively about it. Because as you think, so you go. 
So just because you keep your mouth shut, but you allow the words to run in your head, is no different. It'll produce the same vileness and destruction. So as you think, so you go. So what are you thinking upon today? What are you talking about today? Be careful what you're putting your heart and your mind and your tongue to. And your hands towards. And your feet, where are they leading you? Turn from your sin and turn to God. True wisdom. Verse 13, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. I love that scripture. If you are wise and understand God's ways, then prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be, I'm sorry, there you will find disorder in every evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The wisdom that comes from God. It's not the wisdom of the world, you all. The world tells you to look out for yourself. But God's wisdom tells you, I have you, so look out for others. See the difference? Like when you can wake up with the assurance that I am in Christ, that God has me. And you can wake up and you go throughout your day that no matter what, God has me. So I can look beyond myself and I can start looking at others. And it's sincere. And you're honoring God. But if you're jealous, if you're just full of selfish ambition, it's me, myself, and I am doing for me, I'm doing for me, I'm doing for me, it's always going to end poorly for you. Chapter 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you, won't, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. That is not how we ought to be living He goes on and says, you adulterers, 
Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy? But he has given us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Drawing close to God, you all. Where do the fights and the quarrels come from? They come from within. They come from your own evil desires, your selfishness. That's not how we ought to be living. And I love the fact that he points out, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Listen, we can't have it both ways, one foot in the church and one foot in the world. That's not how it's to be. We're to be all in. We're to be all in. We're not to go the ways of the world. We're not to be lavished on by the ways of this world. No, we are new creations. We're new hearts going a different direction. And God will lavish upon us His love, His grace, His provision. His healing, His mercy. So the very things that you're looking for in the world, you should be finding in Christ. The world has nothing for you. And so we ought not to be consumed by it. And this is a scripture that has been with me for many years. Chapter 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So many times we do the second part of that scripture. We're resisting the enemy. But we're forgetting the first part. You cannot resist the enemy in your own strength. He will continue to devour you. You first are to humble yourselves before God. Submit yourself to God. And then in that position of humility, then resist the enemy and he has to flee. He doesn't have a right in the heart and the lives of believers. The only right that the enemy has is what we give him. Like when we allow him access, the Bible says if you give him a foothold, he's going to develop a stronghold. And a stronghold is a pattern of thinking that you believe that is contrary to God's truth. And so it leads you astray. But 
Praise God, the scripture says that he's given the weapons of our warfare to demolish those strongholds. That we can submit ourselves to God, that we can resist the enemy. And we know that God has us. He's our warrior. He's the one fighting for us. We can rest assured that he is the victorious one. And then he gives this beautiful picture of repentance. And that's what I've been encouraging us over the past month or so. Repentance. To be truly, genuinely, like, broken over your sin. Like, oh God, that you see how disgusting it is. You see how it separates you from God. And so there is a brokenness. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. And gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. Like you recognize, oh God, I've gone my way. Oh God, I am sorry. You turn from it. It fascinates me. Over the past few days, the people that I see who are claiming Christ, and yet you see the filth of their lives. And I go, how can that be? They're blinded by the enemy. And they think that they're, they're of righteousness when they're enslaved to wickedness. No, you can't be both. You're one or the other. You're either the object of his wrath or the object of his love. You're either in wickedness or you're living in righteousness. And when you plant what is right, that is what will come forth. What you sow to, you reap. Forget karma. (laughs) It is is a practical truth of God's word. What you plant, you reap. What you do will be returned back onto you. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap the flesh. But if you sow into righteousness, if you turn from evil and do what is good, you will again begin to produce fruit in your lives of the right way of living. That's honoring God. He goes on here and says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it is gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. Did you hear that? Be mindful of your heart attitude. Be mindful. Be mindful. You ought not to be criticizing 
and judging others to a point of holding them down and keeping them down. We are in the church to hold each other accountable and to judge each other by our fruits. And so when a Christian does judge, it is to build up. Because we're coming alongside others to see their encourage, strengthen in faith. So that we're accomplishing what Christ has called us to collectively as a body. And then again, I ask, yourself, I ask us all, how do we see our fellowship? We are one body. Just a little church. We're part of the bigger body, the church. But if we just look at us, ourselves here and we're to be functioning together as Christ is the head, we all have different gifts and abilities and we should be utilizing them. So how are you contributing? It's vital that we're functioning and we're operating. And so we're not criticizing and judging for the sake of criticizing and judging and tearing down people. No, we're coming alongside people and we can't hold people accountable and judge the fruit of their lives and go, wait, there's something wrong here. Because what you're doing is going to affect the whole. So think about that. When you leave here and you go do you, you're affecting us. Huh. What you're putting yourself to and what you're giving yourself to you're affecting us. And your body should not be working against you. <laughs> and we shouldn't be working against each other. And I hope we're hearing this. Because sin is destructive. It destroys. And just a little bit can reap a lot of filth and destruction. So we must be mindful of how we're living and we need to be careful about placing confidence in ourselves or even in our future. And this is what he's warning them about. Be careful the plans that you're making. Don't get so caught up in self that you miss out on living for today. We close with chapter 5. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver has become worthless. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This treasure will, you have accumulated will stand as evidence against you on the days of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The wages you have held back cry out against you. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. The rich, the greedy, those who are just caring for themselves, 
What a horrible way of living, especially sitting in a church. To have and yet not give. To continue to, 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 to hoard and want more and more and more. And in reality, it could fade away in a moment's time. And yet you've destroyed other lives to gain and to acquire what you want. Listen, having money and wealth is fine as long as it doesn't have you. And if you are blessed with wealth and money, then it's not yours, it's God's, and you are to be giving. You are to be a good steward. Rather you have a little or you have a lot, you all. And that goes for all of us. We need to be good stewards. We need to learn the principles of being financially secure. Not putting our hope in our finances. Because our hope is always in Christ. But being a good steward of what he has given us. That goes for all of us. It goes for me to be a good steward. And honoring God with our wealth. Wherever it may come from. And however little it may be. But to honor God in it. And then lastly, the power of prayer. No, not yet. Patience and endurance. Verse 7. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest, valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Look at this. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or on earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Let your word be your word. Yes or no. You don't have to dance all around. It's either yes or no. And whatever it is, honor it. Honor it. But to be patient and, 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 and faithful to know that he's returning you all. Don't lose sight of that. There's going to come a day when those clouds are going to part. And Jesus, the conquering king, is coming. Amen. And he's not coming all waspy and wimpy. No, he's coming. And his wrath is going to hit this place. And it's nothing to make light of. Because there will be those who will end up in eternal hell. A place of, 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 of horrible terror. Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Never. There's not a hope of it ever stopping. For eternity. And so we don't make light. But we are to wait patiently. And in our waiting, live lives that honor Him. Live lives that honor Him because He is coming. 
I remember before I was a Christian, I used to make fun of people who believed this. I thought it was nonsense. But oh God, thank you that my eyes have been opened. Thank you that my hope is for his return. Thank you that I know whom I belong to and where I am going. Do you have that hope today? Like if you drop dead right now, or if the sky parted and he returned, are you ready to stand before your king? Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we were are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The power of prayer. We ought to be a praying people. We ought to be singing praises. We ought to be praying for others. We ought to be laying hands on the sick as Carrie and Norma did for me the other night or the other day, as we've done for others, we are to be praying for each other, encouraging each other, and believing what we're asking for, God will do. By faith. And then if we see a believer, a brother or a sister, go the ways of the world... <laughs> who has wandered away from the truth, were to go and to encourage them to repent, to turn back to God, to be reconciled, to be restored. Listen, you all, this is the Christian life. And this is what I wanted to encourage us in today. Like, are we living it? Are we truly believing it? Because it's going to be too late once you take your final breath. We as Christians are to live as Christians. We're just not just to go to church, okay, this is what I do, or we just show up, or we just say we're Christians, but we're really not Christians. That's not how it's to be. There is a way in which we are to be living. And I want to encourage you, as I'm encouraging myself, live it out. I told you last week, my fear is not the fear of dying. 
But I think about it a lot nowadays is God, am I using every opportunity that I have to express your goodness, to reveal your goodness and your salvation through Jesus? I don't want to waste time anymore. I don't want to play games. Like, this is real. <laughs> this is real. And it ought to be real to you. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. Like, it ought to be real. Like God, you all. Like Jesus. He's just not a concept. He's just not, a, just not another thing to believe. No, He is God. And He is moving mightily throughout this earth. People are coming to know Jesus. The kingdom of God is advancing. Even when everything in this earth and everything of this world says no, you can't stop it. He's advancing. He's moving. It's gaining momentum. People are coming alive to truth, to righteousness. Yet though the wicked is prospering, the church is still victorious. So I want to charge you this day, go out and be victorious this week. No matter what you have to face, no matter what you have to go through, be victorious in Christ. Amen. Not in your circumstances. No, in Christ. Like, no, my hope is in Jesus. Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. He's all I have. He's all I want. There's nothing else. There's no one else. Jesus, you all. The hope. The only way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, he says. So as I play this last song, I really want you just to bow your head. I want you, just to, I want you to think about where you're at in your life. Are you a Christian? And if not, then my hope is that you would come to Christ. That you would consider the cost. Jesus says, before you come and follow me, consider what you're doing. Because it's going to cost you everything. He doesn't mince words, you all. He's very blunt and upfront about his kingdom. And those who will be in his kingdom. So let us be encouraged today, you all, to get up, whatever we may be facing, and to press in. Seek Him, and you will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. I'll close us with this last song, and then I'll close us in prayer.
I sound like you